Hello everyone, welcome to episode 16 of the History of Middle Earth podcast. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for today's adventure into Middle Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Kurt Raver. To start us off today, we're going to be going over this week in Middle Earth history. Today, Sunday, January 3rd, is Professor Tolkien's birthday. Friday, January 8th, is when the company reaches Holland, which is a small little area in Regian, just west of Caradhras. Starting on the 9th, the next three days, they are trudging through the snow on Caradhras. On the 13th, they are attacked by the wolves on the mountain, and later that night is when they reach the west gate of Moria. And this is also when Gollum begins following Frodo. Fifteenth is when they reach the bridge of Khazad-dûm and the fall of Gandalf happens. Now for the main topic today. Today we're going to be going over the realm of Rohan and the Rohirrim. Rohan was a kingdom on the northern borders of Gondor and the territory of the Rohirrim, the people of herdsmen and farmers. Well known for their horses and cavalry, they were Gondor's most important ally. In the 1200s of the Third Age, the king of Gondor made close alliances with the northmen of Rovanion, a people akin to the three houses of the Idain, later the Dunedain, from the First Age. In the 2000s, a remnant tribe of such northmen that called itself the Aothade moved from the valleys of Anduin to the northwest of Mirkwood, clearing out what remained of the recently defeated Witch Kingdom of Angmar, east of the Misty Mountains. In the meantime, the Gondorian province of Kalinardon was deserted by the Great Plague, and during the Watchful Peace and local chieftains such as Dunlingdings gained control. During the time of Kyrian, the steward of Gondor, Kalinardon was overrun by the Balkoth. In 2509, Kyrian sent summons to Eothade for aid in stopping a combined invasion of men from the northeast of Middle-earth and orcs from the Misty Mountains. Borondir reached Earl the Young, king of Eothade, who answered the summons and arrived unexpectedly at a decisive battle of the field of Celebrant. As a reward, Kyrian invited Earl Amin Anwar over the tomb of Elendil, and he swore mutual alliance and cooperation between the two peoples. The steward also gave Earl the deserted but fertile area of Kalinardon to take as their own and repopulate. Earl moved his people there, driving the Dunlingdings out who attempted to repopulate it without Gondor's consent and Earl then eventually built the first city of Rohan, Aldberg. Earl lost his life fighting the Easterlings in the Wold. The migration was continued to the days of second king, Brego, who defended the borders against the Dunlingdings and Easterlings, and drove off the remaining orcs and backcloth of the world. Brego also built the Golden Hall of Meduseld and made Edoras the new capital of Rohan. King Aldor was the first founder of the Golden Age in Rohan's history, during which he completed Rohan's conquest east of the Aizen 
and the Rohirrim increased greatly in numbers, who even settled valleys of Ere-Nimres, including the Harrowdale. It was he who succeeded in driving all the remaining Dunlingdings from his realm. Rohan continued to prosper during the Goldwine's during Goldwine's rule, but as the guard of the borders lessened, the Dunlingding slowly began to return to northern Westfold, settling in the area around the Ring of Isengard and the southern eaves of Fangorn Forest. A powerful Dunlindish force had been established, and King Deor was forced to ride northward from Edoras, ultimately to defeat his enemies, but he was unable to capture the Ring of Isengard. The following years, the Dunlingdings harassed and mingled with the Rohirrim. The first line of kings lasted for 249 years until the ninth king, Helm Hammerhand. In TA 2758, Rohan was invaded by Dun Dunlingdings under Wolf, son of Freka, and mixed Dunland and Rohan blood. The king, Helm Hammerhand, took refuge in the Hornburg until reinforcements from Gondor and Dunharrow, a refuge of the Rohirrim, arrived a year later and defeated the invaders. In a daring raid, Freyleif recaptured Edoras and managed to reclaim it. He eventually drove the Dunlingdings back across the rivers Isen and Adorn, freeing all of Rohan. The Rohirrim now kept a strong force in the northwest fold. However, at some time, King Folkwine would need the help of Gondor to drive some of them from the area. He was successful, but the people who remained were largely of mixed blood and not loyal to Edoraz. It was soon after this that Saruman arrived and took over Isengard and was welcomed as a strong ally, since it would take Rohan close to 200 years to recover its strength after the invasion. As Rohan was still recovering from the war with the Dunlingdings, hostilities remained at the western borders. For two generations during the coincidental conflict, many thousands of orcs tried to claim refuge in the White Mountains and troubled the Rohirrim. Brida fought them off, and when he died, it was believed Rohan was free of orcs. They were not entirely driven from the White Mountains until TA 2864 by Folka. During Thingol's reign, a mysterious northerner called himself Throngil entered his service and rode with him for some time. Around 2960, Saruman started to harass Rohan once again, and in 3014 he began using his influence to weaken King Theoden as part of a campaign to invade and eventually take over the kingdom. In 3019, he launched a full-scale invasion of Rohan with many victories, including killing Theoden's son, Theodred, during the First Battle of the Fords of Isen, but unfortunately was defeated at the Battle of the Hornburg, where the Horns came to aid the Rohirrim. On the heels of victory, Theoden rode with an army to Minas Tirith and helped break its siege in the Battle of Felinor Fields, where he was unfortunately slain. Aomer, the, new, the nephew of King Theoden, then succeeded to the throne, beginning the Third Line. Aomer rode with the armies of Gondor to the gates of Mordor and took part in the final battle with the forces of Sauron, who, were, who was defeated when the One Ring was destroyed. But we'll get a lot more into Aomer in the next episode, as well as King Theoden. The rule of the stewards of Gondor was now over, 
King Aomer and the new king of Gondor, Aragorn II, renewed their oath of alliance and reaffirmed Curian's grant of Kalinardon to the Rohirrim. But though Sauron had perished, Aomer often fulfilled the oath of Earl and went with King Elisar far into the east and south. He was known as Aomer Adig or the Blessed, because during his reign, Rohan recovered from the hurts of the war and became a rich and fruitful land once again. After the downfall of Sauron, Gimli led a party of the dwarves of Erebor to Aglarond, the glittering caves of the White Mountains within the realm of Rohan, of which there was an entrance in Helm's Deep that many already know. The borders of Rohan were the river of Isen from its junction with the river Adorn and then northwards to the outer walls of Isengard and the river Adorn in the west. From the outer walls of Isengard eastwards and northwards along the eaves of Fangorn Forest to the river Limelight in the north, the river Anduin and the west cliff of the Emmanuel Hills down to the marshes of the mouths of the river Entwash and beyond those marshes the marrying stream that flowed from the wood of Anwar to join the river Entwash in the east and the White Mountains as far as the end of their northward arm in the south. The most significant feature of Rohan's geography was a river Entwash, which divided the country between Eastemnet and Westemnet, itself divided Eastfold and Westfold. Other lands were the Wold, the Fold, and the Downs and the Undeeps. The Rohirrim found abandoned Gondorian fortresses and refuges in the White Mountains, such as Dunharrow, Orthanc Tower, and the Hornburg, which they restored and used themselves. The capital of Rohan was the hill fort Edoras, which lay on the slopes of the White Mountains. Another large city was Aldberg, the capital city of the Eastfold and before the construction of Edoras. This was the original city of Earl the Young. Edoras was built by Earl Ambrego, the first and second kings of Rohan, and over 200 separate dwellings were said to be standing inside Edoras by the end of the Third Age. Unfortunately for the people of Rohan, they ended up consuming more food than they could bring in, so they relied on trade with nearby settlements to fill the gap. Edoras had a large amount of traffic in and out of its gates for this reason. Many soldiers, including those all the way up to the Royal Guard, doubled as farmers when not assigned to the king or royal duties at Edoras or surrounding locations. During times of trouble, the king would take his people to either the fortress Helm's Deep or, or the hold of Dunharrow, which is only a few miles away. The walls of Edoras were breached before, like during the Dunlending invasion of NTA 2758, so the kings knew they were only so safe at Edoras. The Hold of Dunharrow was a fortress and refuge built in ancient times by the mountain men. It consisted of a steep switchback path that rose hundreds of feet into a wide grassy plateau surrounded on all sides by the White Mountains. The small pass was bordered by standing stones and continued across the plateau and through a dark wooden glen that was the haunted pass of Dimholt. This led back to a small dark doorway that was the beginning of the Paths of the Dead. At the time of the War of the Ring, Rohan was roughly a third the size of Gondor, whose borders had slowly been shrinking for decades, thanks to the expanding armies of Mordor. The countryside of Rohan was described as a land of pastures, lush, tall grassland. The lands of Rohan were frequently described as appearing like seas of grass. 
Most of the Rohirrim dwelt in the small villages or farms throughout these fields. The military of Rohirrim was commanded by marshals. The first marshal of the Rittermark was the highest military rank and commanded the muster of Edoras, riders of the capital Edoras and the surrounding lands, including the king's lands in Harrowdale. In his youth, King Theoden had led the riders of the muster of Edoras himself so that no first marshal was needed, and at the time of the War of the Ring, there was no first marshal. The second and third marshals had no fixed duties, and their roles changed according to the needs of the time. The second marshal of the Rittermark, and was based in Helm's Deep, and around the War of the Ring area, was filled by Theoden's son, Prince Theodred, and later Erkenbrand after the death of the prince. The third marshal of the Rittermark was based at Alberg in the Fold, and around the War of the Ring, it was filled by Aylmer. After the War of the Ring, a new rank of Marshal of the East Mark was created for Eastern Rohan by King Aomer. The first rider to hold it was his lieutenant, Elfhelm. The riders were divided into 100 Aoreds. In the days of King Folkwine, a full Aored was defined as 120 horsemen, including its captain. This would imply that a full muster of the riders of Rohirrim would number at least 12,000, if not many more. This does not include levied infantry such as those Erkenbrand led at the Battle of the Hornburg. The alliance between Rohan and Gondor came into existence in the year 2510 of the Third Age. In that year, Easterlings lost, launched a massive invasion of Gondor. The army of Gondor was defeated and trapped between the Limelight and the Celebrant. Gondor, which had always been friendly on friendly terms with the different tribes of Northmen, sent messengers to the closest tribe of the Aothade. Although it was unlikely that the message calling for aid would come through, it did. Then Earl the Young and his fierce Aothade riders unexpectedly took the field during the Battle of Celebrant and turned the tide in favor of Gondor. And along with the province Kalinardon, they fulfilled Gondor's need for a strong ally. The oath of Earl the Young was sworn by both Kyrian and Earl. Neither nation has ever broken the alliance ever since. Rohan has gone through great lengths to fulfill the part of the treaty, including sacrificing two of its heirs when Gondor was under threat from the Haradrim in 2885, when Fastred and Folkred, the twin sons of King Folkwine, were killed during the Battle of Crossings of Poros. The King Theoden once again honored the alliance in the Battle of Pelennor Fields. To the west of Rohan lived the Dunlingdings, a native people who had been hostile against all free people for a long time. The Dunlingding Wolf, whose father Freca was killed by King Helm, invaded Rohan and usurped the throne. Pressed by the east and west and east, the Rohirrim took refuge in the White Mountains. The long winter came upon the combatants, which caused many losses from both sides. Prince Ama was lost in a blizzard, searching for food, while Prince Haleth was slain on the doors of the Golden Hall. Helm had also died from the freezing temperature in TA 2759. Wolf was soon defeated by Freyleif, who was Helmhammerhand's nephew and became the 10th king of Rohan. Rohan recovered very slowly from the war in the winter, and Baron welcomed Saruman and allowed him to dwell in Isengard in TA 2759 hoping that he would help the Rohirrim. 
The following years, after 2799, the orcs who were defeated and fled from the Battle of Azanulbazar attempted to establish themselves in the White Mountains. As they crossed Rohan, they infested the Dales, and many years of fighting passed until they were finally eradicated. During the War of the Ring, Saruman incited them against the Rohirrim, and they fought alongside the Urukai in the Battle of the Hornburg. The name Rohan, coined by Hallas, is Gondor Sindarin, meaning horse country. The native name of the country was Rittermark, or simply the Mark. The Rohirrim, or the Horse Lords, were a horse people settling in the land of Rohan, named after them. The name Rohirrim was mostly used by outsiders. The name they had for themselves was Erlingas, after their king Earl the Young, who had first brought them to Rohan. The terms Riders of Rohan and Riders of the Mark were commonly used and refer specifically to their mounted soldiers. The king's riders were specifically the riders who formed the bodyguard of the king. According to some simplified views in Gondor, the Rohirrim were perhaps directly descended from the house of Hador, or perhaps Hador's sons. This belief was accepted by the Rohirrim themselves and strengthened their friendship with Gondor, and it comforted the Numenorean pride of the Gondorians, who surrendered a large part of their kingdom to them. As such, the Gondorians believed that the Rohirrim were distantly related to them, having descended from Atanatari of the First Age, and ascribed them as middlemen, that being inferior to the high men in both culture and descent, but superior to the men of the darkness who had worshipped and served Sauron. In reality, the ancestors of the Rohirrim were Northmen, known as Eothade, those were the descendants of the Edain of the First Age. They did not go to Beleriand like the Edain, who were later rewarded with the island of Numenor by the Valar. The Rohirrim were tall, blonde, and mostly had blue eyes. They prized their horses more than anything, and their entire culture was based around them. They had few cities, but lived in many villages on the plains of Rohan. Quote, they are proud and willful, but they are true-hearted, generous in thought and deed, bold but not cruel, wise but unlearned, writing no books but singing many songs, after the manner of the children of men before the dark years. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. The Rohirrim had contacts with the elves in their ancient history and knew of Eru, but like the Dúnedain, they did not worship him in any temples. They seemed to have valued the Vala Rome, the hunter, very highly, whom they called Bema. They measured time with a calendar that came from the men of the Vales of Anduin, and had apparent similarities to the calendars of the Shire and Bree, and to that of the Dale. These similarities were noted by Mariadoc Brandybuck in his work Reckoning of Years. The Rohirrim are famous as skilled horsemen, masters, and breeders. Among the horses of the Rohirrim were the famed Maras, the noblest and fastest horses who have ever roamed Arda, with Shadowfax being the greatest of all the Maras. There were very few Maras left in Middle-earth at this point during the Third Age, but there were enough that a breeding population was still present. The armies of Rohan were almost exclusively cavalry, divided into irregular units termed Eoreds. Rohan's armies were more of a very well-trained militia called upon in times of war, 
with the actual standing army relatively small. The professional career soldiers of Rohan was mostly limited to the royal bodyguard at Edoras. It was because of this close affiliation with horses, both in war and peace, that they received their now famous name, Rohirrim, which is Sindarin for horse lords, and Rohan meant land of the horse lords. During the early days of the War of the Ring, rumors spread that the Rohirrim supplied Sauron's armies with horses. These rumors were obviously false, so Rohirrim valued their horses more than anything, and would never send them away, even as tribute. Still, these rumors had some effect in that they obscured the fact that it was Saruman who had fallen, rather than Rohan. The basis of the rumor was that Sauron's orcs on raids into Rohan stole their horses for their use in Mordor's army, but this was theft that angered the Rohirrim against Sauron. The Rohirrim charge would consist of archers firing arrows into the enemy ranks to thin out the front line and cause more disruption, disruption among the enemy. The initial charge would have a long line of spears that were used as lances to blow through the enemy lines, and then the spears would be then thrown and swords would be drawn. They used the phalanx to drive into enemy lines like a wedge, and then kept dispersing and widening out from there. Their hero spoke a language descended that from that of the Aothaid. In comparison to Westron, it was mostly archaic and was not easily understood by the speakers of Westron. The lords of the Rohirrim used Westron freely in the gracious, noble, and an antique manner of the Gondorians. The Rohirrim wrote with a mannish version of Hirth, although they did not have a literature preferring oral tradition. The royal guard numbered between only 30 and 50 in the time of King Theoden. The royal guards were handpicked for their loyalty to the throne and for their skill in combat. They were equipped with funds from the royal vault, so had all matching armor and weapons that were only second in quality to the royal family. They wore a sleeveless, full-length scale hauberk that was effective on both foot and horseback. They wore a helmet featuring a visor with cutouts for the eyes, cheek plates, and a tall metal crest of a horse's head from which a mane of horsehair flowed. A male aventail was riveted inside the back of the helmet's skull, the guards additionally wore steel vambraces and pauldrons that were overworked with leather and strapped onto their arms. The helmet and the steel collar were extensively worked in bronze decorations. A fine wool cloak dyed in dark green and edged in a red and gold pattern was attached to their leather hems of the hauberk with circular bronze brooches that featured the sun device. The grip of the sword as well as the sheath was dyed to match the cloak. The standard Rohirrim soldier needed weapons to reach enemies while on horseback and to defend themselves and to make up for the limited maneuverability while on horseback. One of the main weapons used was the bow and arrow. Although their main weapon, they were very simple in design. Their bow only had an effective range of about 125 yards due to its small and simple curved design. Their arrows were fairly short since the bow had a short draw and their arrowheads shared the same design as their spearheads which was a cultural motif of Rohan. Despite the weaker bows, their arrowheads were designed quite large in order to create a wider wound channel. One piece that was unique to only Rohan was that the fletches of their arrows were actually made from leather instead of bird feathers. Some say that this is because the Rohirrim were trained in all different weapons, so they divided their time to train with everything out there, 
which unfortunately meant that they never truly mastered a particular one of them. Leaving hitting things as small and agile as birds quite challenging, especially to bring in enough for the amount of arrows they needed. Their quivers were made entirely of leather with a canvas bag that could be pulled over the arrows if needed. The drawstring design made it so they could bound the quiver in tighter or loosen it up based on the number of arrows the wearer was carrying. The spear was the primary weapon for a Rohirrim charge. Starting off as a lance to charge through the enemy lines with, it would then become a short-range throwing weapon. Their spears were made from ash and stood 9 feet high, and the tip was made from steel and measured about 3 feet in length, half of which was the large spearhead itself that stretched down and was riveted into the shaft. This was then bound in leather and had two bronze rings clamped around it to make it easier to pull it out after a kill. Due to the large steel tip, the heavy 2-inch thick shaft, and the forward momentum of a running horse, it allowed the spear to rip through the armor of any foe, sometimes going into the second rank of orc soldiers. One of the most distinctive features of a Rohan sword is that many of them didn't have a fuller, but were milled into a more diamond-shaped cross-section. The blades were between 28 and 30 inches in length, and tapered off quickly into a rounded point. Their hilts were only one-handed configurations with a large rounded pommel and guard. These areas were then engraved with sun and horse motifs and reflected that of the shield they carried. Swords were passed down from generation to generation within families, so were generally well cared for. Families would add their own engravings and designs to their swords to make them more unique. As time went, and the blade would wear in battle, they would use a whetstone to file out the blade. Eventually, the blade or the entire sword would need to be replaced, so the families would trade other goods or for ore to either replace the blade or commission a blacksmith to make a new one. A light axe was also common to see among their ranks, although the high cost of metal made spears and arrowheads much more of a priority. They were about three feet long and had a smaller sized head that curved back towards the shaft. They were usually carried in a belt loop so they could be drawn up and easily brought down onto an enemy. They could have been thrown, but the user would have to make sure it wouldn't be thrown back at them or have a way to defend themselves before getting it back. Some were seen with extensive bronze engravings on the blade, but these were likely done by one of the royal guardsmen. The Rohirrim wore leather armor over metal in order to cut down on the weight their horses that they spent much of their time on. The royal family was known for using steel armor with ornate leather designs and shapes that were glued over the metal. Since the warriors of Rohan were from all different areas, each region would have their own slight variations in their armor of the families and or clans of that particular settlement. The overall level of protection varied based on the wealth of the family and their access to materials to use. The average helmet was a steel skin with a bronze crest in the shape of a horse's head and cuirass made of wide, boiled leather strips that had been glued and riveted together, then tightened with rawhide points at the shield arm, side, and breastbone. If the warrior did not own a helmet, helmet they would wear a chainmail coif that extended down into a collar. The interior of the coif was covered in leather to help absorb any blows and keep their hair from being caught when removed. Outside of these couple pieces, they would wear their standard tunic and heavy wool cloak. 
Aside from being lighter in weight, metal was more scarce in Rohan, so they favored mail over plate armor. Like their swords, their mail hauberks were also passed down through the family, with chainmail links being replaced as needed. It was easier to find enough metal to replace damaged links than create an entirely new one for someone's family member, and the work was easy enough to do that you didn't always have to need to go to a skilled blacksmith to finish the repairs. Rohan shields were made from planks of wood that were glued and nailed together in layers running in different directions. Some shields would then be covered in leather skins that would were cured in vegetable tans to avoid rotting, or painted with the design of the rider's choosing. The leather would be soaked in water to help stretching, then fixed using metal pins around the edge of the shield. A glue would then be applied to help secure the ends, which was likely made from foot oil made from the hooves of horses. Once the glue had dried, the metal pins could actually be removed, and while the leather didn't add any more protection of the shield, it helped hold the shield together if any of the wooden planks became broken in battle. Their shields were all round to help with protection and maneuverability, whether on foot or mounted on horseback. The pointed edges of square or rectangle shields could cause sore spots or even cut into a horse while riding. The shields had an iron bar riveted along the length of the back of the shield that was used as a hand grip. The concave shape of the boss in the middle of the shield gave the necessary room for the user's hand to grip the iron bar and hold the shield in the center. The boss would be recovered from destroyed shields when possible after a battle in order to save the metal so it could be added to a newly made shield. The decorations for the shields were usually paintings and the icons of Rohan like images of the Maras. And there you have it, the history of Rohan and the Rohirrim. We have a question this week from Tyson DeLay. He says, very curious about the different dwarves and their history and what they were like in both times of peace and in times of battle, including economics, tactics, nobility, and civility. Well, to start off, I'll say we'll be going over the dwarves a lot more in depth once we get to the Hobbit era as we kind of finish going through the rest of the Lord of the Rings, and we'll do just the dwarves as a whole overall, and then more in depth of each of the dwarves like Thorin and Philly and Killy and so on. And I know we still have yet to do Gimli here as well. So I'm not going to go too in depth because we will get there later, but I will give you a general kind of overview of them and uh, what you're asking for about their economics, tactics, nobility, and civility. So the dwarves who called themselves Khazad in their own tongue were actually quite friendly with hobbits and as everybody knows, very suspicious of elves. And you can both see, or not see because they didn't add it in the movies, but hear um, all through the stories that they tell each other in the books, both from The Hobbit to The Lord of the Rings of their times passing through like the Shire and those different areas. So both the dwarves and the hobbits were, I wouldn't call them allies, but they were just kind of just friendly acquaintances basically with the other people groups. They were typically blacksmiths and stoneworkers by profession, and were actually unrivaled in some of their arts, even by the elves. There were several tribes, or houses, as you can also call them, of the dwarves, and with the most prominent one being Longbeards. But unlike elves and men, the dwarves 
or not counted among the children of Iluvatar. Their creator was Mahal, who was known as Eule the Smith, and Eule created the seven fathers of the dwarves, who were the Longbeards, or Durin's folk, originally from Gundabad, uh, the fire, Firebeards and Broadbeams, originally from the Blue Mountains, Ironfists, Stiffbeards, Blacklocks, and Stonefoots, who all four of which originated way out east. And those are the seven fathers of the dwarves from where all the other dwarves have descended from. But the dwarves as a whole mined and worked precious metals uh, throughout all the mountains of Middle-earth, and they were considered unrivaled in arts like smithing, crafting, metalworking, even by the Noldor. And a fun fact is they created many famous weapons, including Narsil, the sword of Elendil. They had an obvious gold lust and committed their share of rash and greedy acts. Uh, among them was the dispute over the Noglamir, which led to the slaying of Elu, Thingol, and stirred up the initial suspicion between, between elves and dwarves to just basically them straight up hating each other. Dwarves as a whole generally lived far from the sea, and they hated boats since they disliked the sound of the ocean and were just generally afraid of it which you can't blame them for. They're also surprisingly resistant to fire, a lot more than elves and men, and sickness was basically unknown to them since they were immune to any standard or any human diseases. The dwarves also didn't have uh, any relationship relationships with animals and didn't even have things like dogs, which sounds miserable, I have two dogs, and I adore them more than life itself. And we see in the movies and books of Gimli trying to get on the horse. That's basically dwarves in general as well. They didn't like horses for kind of, you know, obvious reasons, because they're shorter in stature, and horses are quite massive animals. As for dwarf women, they only made up about a third of the overall population, so... Their numbers would increase, but at very slow rates, and the dwarves seldom wedded before the age of 90 or even older, and, and they didn't have too many children. Um, it was usually between like one and three or so, and maybe four at the most, which is still kind of a lot in my opinion. And the last thing I'll add is just the dwarves did have their own language, which was created by Aeole, and it was called Kuzdul, and it was an odd language to, like, men and elves, and there was almost no one who that knew how to speak it outside of the dwarves, because it was just such a difficult language to learn, and also the fact that the dwarves kind of kept it as a secret, basically, they would only talk to each other in Kuzdul when around only other dwarves, and if they would go out anywhere else, they would kind of speak Westron or communicate in the languages of whoever was around them. So I'll leave it there for now, and we'll get in a lot more in depth later on. I don't know when specifically, but and hopefully that'll hold you over. That is it for this week's episode. If you do want more content, check out our website, ministeryofarchives.com. You can follow us on Facebook at History of Middle-Earth Podcast, where there is also a Facebook group you can join and talk to other Lord of the Rings lovers. 
and we are on Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod. Feel free to subscribe and leave leave us a review. Let us know how we did. If you have a complaint or advice, be sure to let us know so we can add it in or fix it. If you have any questions, you can send them in to our Facebook page as a private message. You can go to our website, ministeriofarchives.com, use the Contact Us button, or you can send an email to ministeriofarchives at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you back next time. I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth podcast. Thank you.